Well, we're in the 10th chapter of, of Matthew. We've, we've been there for camping out for a few days looking at, uh, at God calling the disciples beginning of the chapter, then sending them out in verse 2. And as he sends them out, we, along with the instructions that he's been giving his disciples, is instructions for you, for you, for, uh, you and me. Uh, and so he, he sends them out with his, with his mission statement, go to Israel and tell them that the Messiah, the one that they've been waiting on all these years, the one the prophets have said was coming, that, that now's the time he's here. And take a look, check out all that's happening with what the prophets said would happen, and they'll realize and they'll see their Messiah's here. He sent them forth with this, with this uh, message, with this mission, and with the method that they were to go and how they were to go. And as he did that, he told them that they could expect persecution and, and that everybody wouldn't receive that, uh, that glorious news uh, with open arms, that they would be those that would be skeptical, they would be those that would, uh, that would be opposing, and that opposition could sometimes rise to the, even to the level of persecution and even to the point of, of laying their lives down or martyrdom. But he said, I'm sending you like lambs among wolves. And, and go, and he said that that persecution could come from different places. It would come from civil authorities. It would come from religious leaders. And sometimes it would come from, from the very members of their own families. But as he sent them, he told them, he said, even though opposition comes, I want you to not be afraid of man and what man can do to you. So three times in verse 26 and verse 28 and verse 31 of this chapter, Jesus says to these disciples as he's getting, as they're there gathered and he's getting ready to send them out, he said, but, but I don't want you to go fearfully. Don't be afraid of them. Fear not. So we took a look at, at what that living fearlessly uh, can mean for you and me as we live every day for the Lord, how he don't want us to be paralyzed or uh, cap captured or held hostage by fear. There's a couple of more things that he shares with them that I want us to look at in a, in, in a couple, three verses here uh, this morning on over in the chapter beginning with verse 37. While he says that sometimes the opposition can be from within families, Jesus now uses two things. He uses our families and he uses life. Our lives, the things that make up our life and the very life itself to focus on something that I think is absolutely critical as we go or as we stay, whether we're going to the, 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 the Logos Hope around the world or whether we're going to Hawassi or Hawaii or to wherever or whether we're staying right here. Jesus realized that there would be times as we live out this Christian life that we would need to know and we would need to be able to come back to why we're doing it. Haley mentioned that this morning. And in doing that, we need to make a decision. The songs that we have been singing, he's worthy of all our praise. He's worthy of all our adoration. Never forget, good friend of, of, of mine and of ours of the church, Edwin Messerschmidt, gone home to be with the Lord. But Edwin said the very first time he heard the gospel, it was a gospel of John Haley, uh, he grew up up in Minnesota, and he was a teenager, and someone gave him the gospel of John, and they told him that Jesus loved him enough that he gave, they, Jesus gave his life so that Edwin could have forgiveness of sins and salvation. And Edwin said, it was at that moment 
that I come to a decision, and it sounds like Edwin, right? It wasn't, a, it wasn't a feeling, it was a decision. That if he loves me enough to give his life for me and to die, that surely I should love him enough to give my life while I live for him. So Jesus brings us to that place where, where we find ourselves this morning in these verses. Do we love him more than we love life? Do we love him more than we love our world? Do we love him even more than we love family? You should be there now, Matthew chapter 10. And I just wanna thank the Lord for water. We have, we're refreshed and, uh, and replenished in that. Pick it up in verse 37. Jesus says, he that loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Now, on face value, we look at this verse and it looks cold. <laughs> it, lo it looks cold hearted. And we think, yeah, I know that's in there, but surely he don't, he don't mean it like that. He just means that, you know, he, he doesn't mean that that he, we weren't supposed to love him more than we do that. Yes, he does. He does. He alone is at the, he wants to be at the top. Scripture talks about that God is a jealous God and he will have no other gods before him. No other one, no other person, no other things between our love for, our adoration of, and our worship of God alone. See, God is creator and he created parents. He created our kids and our grandchildren. And God created you and he created me. He is the creator. And anytime that we begin loving that which is created more than the one who created. Anytime we begin worshiping the created more than the creator, we will always have fears and problems in our life. Always. But he doesn't want us to live in fear. And this morning, I believe there's some things that we need to understand. And the first is this, that God loves your family more than you do. Now, we look at that and we say, nobody could love your, my family more. Yes, he does. God loves your family more than you do. So he understands and he knows that love. He knows that, that uh, bond there. And he wants you to live not in fear for your family. He didn't want you to live in fear of man. And he don't want you to live in fear of your life. But what, what does the enemy do? What does Satan do? He attacks you if you decide you're going to live for the Lord. And he comes after you and he will, he will attack you physically. Or he will attack you spiritually spiritually in all kinds of ways but once satan sees that you have determined you're going to walk for the lord what's he do he goes after your family he goes after your kids he is ruthless just this week i was talking with someone again and we were sharing and i, and I said we you need to understand satan has nothing good planned for you or for anyone in your family or for anyone on this earth scripture says that he comes to kill to steal and to destroy now, but that's not what the package that he brings looks like. 
because he wraps his lies and he wraps his worship and he wraps his deception in good-looking things that are nothing but dust and they evaporate and they're gone and, and people are left in despair. They're left hurting. They're left uh, uh, with, with no hope. Satan comes to kill, steal, and destroy. But God comes to bring life and that everlasting. And he loves you and he loves your family. I'm not talk, going to talk a lot about families, but there's a few things that I want, that I want to say. And, I, and I'll just say this, that um, parenting, is, parenting is probably the toughest adventure that I've ever been on in my life. And, uh, and the only experts in parenting are people that don't have kids. <laughs> they can tell you how to do it. And then children come. And uh, when, you, when you get to like Gary and Rita Faye with a quiver full or Travis and Pam or some of these others that have large families, you, know, you look at them and you tell, say, tell us the secret of, of, of being a parent. And they'll say, prayer, 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 flexibility, forgiveness. And they, and they start naming these things that are attributes of God and of his word. So uh, knowing that there are rare a few experts out there. I was reading a, uh, one guy that wrote a lot about marriage is Kevin DeYoung. And he, he just says a couple things I want to mention as we go through this. He, he, he gives two warnings. He says there's, there's two things, two extremes that we need to avoid as parents in our parenting styles. The first one he said is family is nothing. And the second one that we also need to avoid is family is everything. And obviously in the first one, family is nothing. And maybe you've seen this it's, um, it's, it's where the parents uh, see their kids. It's, it's not a matter of we want you to be seen and not heard. Sometimes they, they, just, uh, they don't even want to see them. They're, they see kids, they view kids as a nuisance or cramping their style, hindering their style. And it's almost like they find how many excuses and ways to get away from them. Sometimes I've prayed and made you have, Lord, why did you even give them kids? I, you know, I... I but, but that, that's an extreme, and uh, that's, that's rare, but that's an extreme. But the other extreme is, is just as much to be cautioned against, and that is family is everything. Now, understand me, and let me say it very carefully. Our children, Scripture teaches, and I believe, our, that our children are a gift from God. And uh, to me, I don't know, to me what makes the gift valuable, whatever the gift is, is who gave it to me. I've got, if you come into my office You'll see I've got, I've got a painting out there by Linda Dennison, and she's, she's quite an artist. Uh, and I've got paintings out there uh, by Joe Walker. I've got two of his hanging in my office, and he's quite a, an artist. Uh, and I've got among these paintings that, that are priceless to me, and I've got a painting out there that Barbie bought. I, I love it. It's a picture of the little boy standing in his daddy's workshop, Jesus in his daddy's workshop with a, the, the shadow of the cross and three nails laying on the ground. Uh, I would take nothing for that. But I also have in my office pictures, I have a couple of pictures. One of the stick figures uh, was drawn by one of McAllister's granddaughters, was here one Sunday morning in, in church. And after church service, she came up and she gave me this picture. I have another in there of three seasons. It was born, uh, drawn by one of our grandkids. Uh, and they framed and they're priceless to me. No offense, but they're just as priceless as Linda's or Joe's. I would take nothing for them, although the quality of the, of the picture is not even comparable. 
But the giver of the picture is what makes it valuable to me. And the giver of our children to us is God. And our children are to be valued and respected and loved because of who gave them to us. They're a gift from God to us. But as Christian parents, our homes are to be Christ-centered and not child-centered. Now, I'm saying this in love and kindness, but listen, I'm I'm, I'm just going to explain it briefly. Our homes are to be Christ-centered. I believe we do our children a disservice when we let our homes become child-centered and focus everything upon them. The main point Jesus is saying here is that while family is foundational, and it is, it is, we we, we understand that as a ministry staff, and we, we try to encourage that. We try to focus on that. We celebrate the longevity of our marriages. We celebrate birthdays. We celebrate family events. We, do, we plan things for our family. Sunday nights at the camp is, uh, is planned as and around being family time together. And we understand that. But loving God and following Jesus must come first. I love my family. I love my wife. Uh, Barbie's the love of my life. I love her more today than I did 47 years ago this month when we, when we got married. And I thought I loved her then as much as anybody could. Lord, how I love that girl. <laughs> but I love her and she knows that. And uh, uh, now she's got to the point where she, she can work me to death. I get a day off and she works me to death. <laughs> But she's there beside me working. And yesterday, uh, she'd been out, we'd been down, and she'd be down the bottom, and she'd been mowing, and I was in the garden. And she goes to house arrest, and the next thing I know, she comes back, and she's got uh, a blown a sandwich and uh, uh, some water. And, uh, you know, and, I, I, and late last night, we were eating supper late. We'd worked hard. And, and I, I said, I just, I just need to tell you how much I appreciate what you do. Not just who you are, but what you do, washing my clothes, working alongside. I love my wife. I love my kids. They're, they're, they're two, I, I hate to say this because I don't want them to get the wrong impression, they're two of the finest kids you could ever have. I love them, and I think they know that. And Lord knows I love my grandkids. Good, granny's alive. Uh, I, I love those things. But I pray... <laughs> you understand... But I pray that when the time comes for the Lord to take me home, that my grandkids, and if time lasts, great-grandkids, and my kids, and my wife, I hope that they say, he loved Jesus more than anything else. I want them to know that. I want there not to be a doubt in the people's lives around me who had first place in my life. I think that's the greatest thing we can do for our families. I used, I'll never forget, and Zach probably can still tell you the time. He was just a little feller, blue eyes, but he, had, his, he was big enough to smart, smart mouth his mama. Now, those of you who know him would never think that he would trash talk anybody or smart mouth them, but he smart mouthed his mama. And I remember taking him down to the basement, and, uh, and I had the spanking spoon, and I said, I'll tell you something, son. I said, your mama was my wife before she was ever your mama. And there'll come a day when you will move out of this house and your mom and I, Lord willing, will still be here. So I'm not going to let you or anybody else trash talk that woman in our house. 
so bent over and his eyes got big. <laughs> but he got, the, he got the message. I think, I think as the, one of the best things we can do for our kids is let them know that we love their mom, we love their daddy. You know, we love them and they're, and they're important. But I think the most important thing we can do is be sure that those people around us understand that Jesus needs to come first in my life, in our lives. Jesus wanted us to know, Jesus knew that as we went out, as we serve him, there's gonna come times when we're gonna need to understand why we do what we do and that needs to come back from because I love him more than comfort or I love him more than things. I love him. And it's when we do that, I believe, that it frees family up to be loved and to be enjoyed, to be who God created them to be. It frees us up. And I'm not alone in this. I was thinking about this and, and reminded of the story in Genesis chapter 22. And you remember that story, right? It's in Genesis 22 where Abraham, now 100 years old practically, and he's, he's over 100. He is, uh, God has given him the son of his promise, Isaac. And now Isaac is up in, in years and, uh, and he's, the, he's the joy of his father. He's got Isaac. He's got Ishmael, who, who Abraham tried to get God's blessing through. And, and then one day God says to Abraham, Abraham, I want you to take your son, your only son Isaac, and I want you to take him to a mountain that I'm going to show you. And there I want you to offer him as a sacrifice to me. Say, what? I mean, really? I mean, I guarantee you Abraham had to pray that thing through. You know, I'm, I'm thinking... Honey, I don't know what we had for supper last night, but I had the wildest dream. Let's don't eat that again. You got to be sure you heard from God. But Abraham leaves with his son with fire for the burnt offering, with wood to put on the altar. And he goes and God shows him Mount Moriah. And he takes his son, and the fire and the wood. He leaves his men, servants there. And he goes to the mountain, up on the mountain. And on the mountain, they build the altar. He lays his son on the altar and he ties him up. And God intervenes. Look at the verses here in Genesis 22. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. And he said, lay not your hand to the lad, neither do anything to him. And don't hurt him. Don't touch him. Abraham had the knife. He said, for now I know that you fear God. Now, some translations have there, for, say, for now I know that you love God more than your son. For now I know that you fear God, seeing that thou hast not withheld thy son, thy only son, from me. And then Abraham lifted up his eyes and there was a, a ram caught in the thicket and there was the sacrifice, a picture of Jesus Christ, God sending his son to die for my sins and to die for your sins. God needed to be sure that Abraham was sure who he loved the most. The son that he had waited for all his life, who was absolutely, unquestionably, undeniably a gift from God. But there come a time when God said, Abraham, do you love me? more than you love the son that I gave you? <clears throat> these are tough questions, but they're questions that we need to answer just as much as these disciples needed to answer before Jesus sent them out that day. They're questions that are good for you and I, or you and me, to take a note of. 
We are to love Jesus more than those closest to us. And we're to love Jesus more than we love ourselves. Look at the next couple of verses here. Verse 38. And he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. He that findeth his life shall lose it. And he that loses his life for my sake shall find it. Cross bearers are called to follow the crucified one. Cross bearers are called to follow the crucified one. It was a one-way trip. When a person was to be crucified, they would lay on their shoulders the cross member, the cross beam. Remember our, remember our Savior Jesus of what they did. They scourged him. They lay on his shoulders the cross beam that he was to carry that to the place of execution. They would lay the beam down. Then the, then the person would be nailed to the beam. So to pick up the cross and carry his cross, man, I'm laying down my life. I'm giving my life. It was a one-way trip. Crossbearers are called to be followers of the crucified one. Discipleship is demanding because we are called to die to our dreams and our desires. There's a lot of people out there looking to find who they are. There's a lot of people out there looking to find life. And sadly, the world and the Satan and the enemy of you and the enemy of, of every created being that God created, Satan, has a lot of deception and has a lot of false, he has a lot of mirages, they're not real. And their false hopes and their false claims. Come and follow me. Come and do this. Come and find this. Come and be successful. Come and find fame. Come and have money. Come and have things. And you're going to be happy. Those things may satisfy temporarily, but those things never will meet the need of a heart of an individual man or woman or boy or girl. Because God created you to, bring, to glorify him. And God created you with a longing and a desire to love Jesus and to know Jesus and to be loved by him more than anything else in the world. And nothing else, nothing else will ever satisfy and will ever bring the fulfillment and will ever bring a life worth living until we die to self to follow him. As we, uh, as we go forth, Jesus goes to the, he, he really gets in our face. He goes to the closest of human relationships to family to make sure that following Christ comes first with us. And then he, he gets in our space even more by challenging us to lay aside our personal ambitions, our goals, our very life. Today, we're, I, I am so technically challenged, and, and, and my staff know this. They, it's kind of a running joke around. They laugh and, and Craig is my, you know, he, he's my guru, and, and I, 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 they, they laugh at me. I, but, but sometimes I can, sometimes I can get on Facebook, 
Sometimes I'll, say, I'll have something that says, you've got a message on Facebook. Now, if I have, if you've been on there and you've said something to me and I hadn't answered it, it's probably been because I, I couldn't figure out how to get back on it. Um, sometimes, I, you know, sometimes I can get there and, some, and then I'll, they'll say, you've got to sign in or something. And, and then you, you, they say, you forgot your password. And they'll say, I have a thing, you know, if you forgot your password, click here. But by the time I go there and go to my email and they got a new way of setting passwords, it's, that, that's crazy. But, but, I, but I, do know, I do know this, it's kind of, I guess there's people, I guess it's easy to become a friend on Facebook, right? I mean, because when I get on there, so-and-so wants you to be a friend, and, and they got a thing now, and it just hit confirm. And then it'll shine up there and say, you are now friends with, you know, Bob. Well, following Jesus, I'm concerned that some people want to just face, get him on their Facebook page and want to, want to be friends with Jesus like we're Facebook friends. And Jesus says, no, the world that I'm sending you forth into, whether it's to Germany to pray, to intercede for Europe, whether it's back to Jamaica, back to the Logos Hope for the last few months of your first commitment, whether it's to VBS, whether it's Canal Black Bible Camp, whether it's to Bible School, whether it's to university, whether it's to job tomorrow, or whether it's back home this afternoon. To be a follower of Christ is a call to love him more than we love ourselves and more than we love life and more than we love family. It's different. David Platt and a lot of you, I think the youth went through his book, Radical, Last year, maybe, or before last. Uh, see now, three or four years ago. Oh, my word. <laughs> see? Haley, you were gracious. First service, she talked about grumpy old grandpas. <laughs> and after, and second service, she didn't. And she came by and she hugged my neck and she said, I didn't mention grumpy old grandpas. And then she patted me. <laughs> David Platt in his book, Radical, Talks about living radically different. Like we love Jesus more than we love life. Like we love Jesus more than we love family. Like we love Jesus as much as we say we do. And, and, and I ran across this statement. I had read the book and read right over this. And then somebody recently I was reading and they quoted this saying from, the, from Radical and, and it's there. This is what it says. Your life is free to be radical when you see death as your reward. Your life is free to be radical when you see death as your reward. And I got to thinking about that and I got to thinking about that with this verse, verse 39. In Corinthians, it talks about Jesus Christ conquered death, hell, and the grave and the last enemy that he put under his foot, I think it's in that great chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, that big, long awesome chapter, is it says it, that Jesus Christ will then put the last enemy, death, under his foot. You see a lot, again, and, and you've heard the stories, and now that I'm, I can't believe it's been four years, but to the point where everything seems old to me, I can say it, and you, and you just look and say it, because I've shared with you how early in my life, early on, I was afraid of dying, just afraid of dying. Uh, and a lot of people let the fear of dying Cripple them, paralyze them, hinder them. Not just the fear of man, but the fear of dying. And Jesus wants to set you free from that. 
He wants to set you free from that. Somebody said to me one time, Jerry, I'm, I'm ready to, to die. I love the Lord. But it's just the, the, the method that I'm kind of anxious about. I understand that. I understand that. Uh, but I thought about this. When, if, we, if we as a believers see death as a failure or if we see death as something horrible, we're, 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 we're falling and being deceived by the enemy. Now, I'm not saying I'm running for the next bus load that says, you know, who wants to go? But I'm, but I'm saying I'm, I've come to a place in my life where I've trusted whether I live or whether I die to the Lord Jesus Christ. And while I'm not near the person, will never be the person that Paul was, that I understand what he, what he means when he says, for me to live should be Christ. It's Christ. Sharing people, the most, we have the most awesome news. We have the greatest gift that's ever been given the world. And we have the privilege of giving and sharing that gift with others. That's that Jesus Christ loves you. And that God loves you so much that he gave his son Jesus to die so that, so that you could know him. So that you could have a relationship with him. Jim mentioned the, 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 the revivals, the fields widened to harvest. Barbie and I just last night were watching a, watching a, a, a DVD and Billy Graham was on the, in the beginning of it. And this, is, this has been several years ago now. And boy, Billy Graham was preaching this powerful message and he was saying the, the world, the, har- the world is ripened to harvest. And this was years ago and I'm thinking, man, if it was ripe, and it was, and it is. And the fruit's falling off the vine. Everything we do, every day we live, is an opportunity. It should be Christ. For me to live is Christ. For the believer, to die is just getting the fork and getting ready for dessert. Really? Really? Those old, old spiritual song says, don't weep for me when I'm gone. Have a celebration and plan on joining me where I'm going to be with the one who loved me enough to die for my sins when I didn't even care about it. That's Jesus. That is my Jesus. And Jesus knew that those men that he was getting ready to send out into the world, and Jesus knew that every follower of Christ including you and me, would need to settle in our hearts and our minds, who do you love the most? Who do you love the most? I think it was a missionary, right? Jim Elliott, that uh, gave his life down in Ecuador to Indians that he was, went to share the gospel with. It's his wife would go back and to the very Indians because the message was that important to get out. But I think as Jim Elliott at one time said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. What are you holding on to this morning? Who has your heart? What has your heart? Don't be foolish. That's my time. Did you ding me? 
just remind the people before you close <laughs> how much I love them and how much I, my son, loved them. And be sure that the one they serve and the one they follow knows that, so they'll love me too. That's not what it says, that's what it should have said. <laughs> Let's pray. Wow, Father. You know how to encourage us when we need to be encouraged. You know how to be realistic with us as you were these disciples that you were getting ready to send out into the harvest. You wanted them to go and you knew they were going to face opposition. You know there were going to be those that would be rejoice and would accept what they had to say. But you knew there were going to be those from every quarter, civil authorities, religious leaders, even their own families at times, who would not only not understand but would even be adamantly opposed and at times would even persecute to the point of death thinking that they were doing the right things, those that you sent. Father, it hadn't changed a whole lot since you sent this man out in the, first, in the 10th chapter of Matthew. If anything, today the world has got more aggressive in their hatred of you. So we need to know too. We need to know that we love you more than anything. We need to understand that. We need, and in understanding that, it brings us to a place of where we can not only live fearlessly before men, but so that we can live in fear of you and not fear man and not fear death. A couple other things you had to mention to these disciples are a couple other things that's good for us to come to terms with today also. And it's my prayer, Jesus, that if there's anyone here this morning that maybe, maybe your word, maybe the Holy Spirit of God has just, has just spoken to it and said, hey, I'm, I, I'm, I don't come alongside just as a friend on Facebook or a fan. I'm either Lord or I'm not. And Lord, maybe your Holy Spirit is speaking to hearts and said, you know what? I guess I just wanted to bring you into my comfortable life and keep living it the way I wanted to. And this morning I realized, Jesus, that you've called me to a radical way of living and that's living for you. Help me to walk balanced. Help me to walk humbly and understanding and hearing the Holy Spirit lead in my life. Help me to stay in the word so I won't go astray. And God, it's my prayer that if there was here this morning that's never trusted you as their savior, I'm asking them this morning, I'm asking your Holy Spirit to quicken their heartbeat right now, to speak to them that they would ask you to be their Lord. If that's you this morning and you've, maybe you've come to a place where you say, hey, it's time for me to get really serious about this thing with God and I want him to come into my life I want him to save me and I want to follow him just pray Jesus come into my life and save me right now forgive my sins cleanse me teach me and grow me as a disciple a learner a follower of yours in Jesus name I pray amen